Hey guys, before we start, just a quick reminder, Powerhouse Politics is now on Spotify. Head over there, follow along, and tell your friends. Okay, let's get to the show. Hello and welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News Chief White House Correspondent Jonathan Carl. And I'm ABC News Political Director Rick Klein. Rick, I'm coming to you from the state of Florida, which you may have seen uh, appears to be in the path of, uh, well, maybe the largest hurricane we've ever seen in our lives. Yeah, and uh, we just had one of those uh, not so long ago. It is, it is uncanny how these things are coming back to back and testing President Trump and the Trump administration's response, as well as Washington's capacity for uh, for dealing with a very full agenda. They're going to be talking about uh, government funding. They're going to be talking about uh, f- uh, storm funding and, and storm readiness and preparation. And, uh, and, oh, by the way, a whole other issue just dumped on Congress's lap uh, by the president himself. On Yeah, a, a different kind of storm. So I, I am currently on the uh, east coast of Florida. I've got uh, one parent on the uh, west coast, the southern uh, g- Gulf Coast. And I've got uh, uh, my other parent on the uh, on the East Coast, and I'm trying to figure out where this storm is going to hit. And the amazing thing is, I'm watching, as you can imagine, uh, this track, is it looks like it's going to be a bullseye right in the middle of Florida. Yeah, and this this is a big one, as as you mentioned. And uh, you know, I'm struck. We we talked a little bit in, in the last week since since Harvey about the kind of calm around politics that seemed to surround that and, and how little time it took until you got back to business as usual. And there's saber rattling now about, well, what could get tied to what and who's going to who's going to support what. And we know the Freedom Caucus is on one side and the Democrats have some leverage. Uh, and uh, it, it is it is kind of return to business as usual. Uh, and a president who, you know, right now doesn't look like he's really part of the, the main equation. Congress is going to have to work some things out by itself. Uh, and, and the president uh, may increasingly be a bystander here. And I, I think I can argue here, Rick, speaking in, in, in rough terms, uh, the next 30 days, perhaps the most consequential 30 days of the Trump era so far. Wow. Uh, in terms of what is what, what is on the agenda in Congress, in terms of uh, the disasters we are facing on the natural side, in terms of the disasters we are facing on the international side with North Korea, and that congressional pileup. But let's look at the big issue right now, the biggest of them all on the domestic front, what the president did on DACA. Uh, This was an effort if you, um, I mean, it's it's kind of like, depends on who you talk to in the administration. Uh, Was this an effort to be compassionate and give Congress a chance uh, to simply provide uh, a solution for the dreamers uh, through legislation that would be clearly constitutional, uh, giving giving some leeway to do that? Or was this stopping a program that had done great damage to America? And let me tell you, I hear one message out of the president of the United States, and I hear another message out of the president's attorney general. Yeah, and that, and, and actually, you, you you can see the the split inside President Trump's own head on this because he did say he would rescind what he said was an illegal order. He also said they'll be just fine, and he would show great heart. And I think it's because of that contradiction in his head that this policy is as modeled as it is. He essentially he had a huge decision to make on, 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 on the Dreamers, and he decided not to decide. He said, let's let Congress handle this. And he said, I'll give him six months to handle it. And then he said, oh, by the way, if they don't do anything on the six, after six months, I may revisit the issue, which is a strange way of kicking off negotiations. And he's putting an awful lot of faith 
in the ability of Congress to tackle immigration reform. John, you and I have covered this, you know, 12 yeah. or 14 yeah. years worth of yeah. back and forth, Democratic presidents, Republican presidents, Democratic Congress, Republican Congress, they can't do immigration reform. And yet now they have this ticking time bomb that affects 800,000 people, most of whom know no home other than the United States of America. Okay. And they're going to have their status uh, revoked potentially. Okay, okay, but wait a minute, uh, Rick. The, the, the president, you're right, has, has been as 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 talked about having a big heart and talked, you know, called on Congress to do something about this, and and even coming out and saying uh, if they don't, I'll revisit the issue, suggesting he might provide, you know, you know, re-up DACA or who who the heck knows what he meant. But can you please listen with me for a minute to the Attorney General of the United States when he announced this move, the way he talked about DACA? Here it is. The effect of this unilateral executive amnesty, among other things, contributed to a surge of minors at the southern border that yielded terrible humanitarian consequences. It also denied jobs to hundreds of thousands of Americans by allowing those same illegal aliens to take those jobs. (laughs) Rick, does that sound like somebody who thinks this is a good program, but it was just done in an unconstitutional way, and please Congress come and fix it? Well, it raises a really interesting question. I mean, would would the the Trump Justice Department would it would it want to support a clean DACA uh, bill, a Dreamer bill that takes care of these hundred eight hundred thousand people? Wait, wait, that wait, isn't what you're it asking, sounds like. Would, you're asking would Jeff Sessions support a bill uh, that would allow I know the illegal to that. aliens <laughs> I know the answer the to that. and deny jobs from from hardworking Americans? I mean, that is somebody who describes DACA as something that is. Uh, a humanitarian you know disaster i mean it, 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 i mean it's it, it's an entirely different worldview uh from what we've heard frankly out of the president uh and and of course out of many other uh republicans like paul ryan uh democrats obviously in in in, in you know united on this issue um so th- th- this raises some very interesting questions and i will tell you my sense as i was tracking what the president was going to do on this that if you got inside the attorney general's head, and frankly, if you got inside the head of, uh, of Stephen Miller, his domestic policy advisor on, on, on these issues, the idea of extending this program, you are extending a program for six months. Yeah. And again, it's not a clean extension, but you know what I mean. Extending a program for six months that the attorney general thinks uh, has, has brought in a, you know, a, a flood of illegal aliens, has taken away jobs. Um, you know, um, and, and is clearly illegal and unconstitutional. Yeah. I mean, they didn't want to extend this. They wanted to end it immediately. And you can see why if you're a dreamer in the United States right now and you're being called an illegal alien by the, the attorney general of the United States and you have a president who says, uh, I'm undoing this, this, this action, but, but don't worry about it. You can see why you might be concerned. And if all of your trust is in Congress's ability to get something done, man, <laughs> that is a tough, tough gamble. And I do think, uh, look, we, we often talk about the, the, the differences inside this White House. And obviously there were some pretty severe splits in terms of how to handle this. Uh, I think in in this was telling to me that President President Trump tried to be a little bit removed from this. He he put his attorney general out there to talk about it. He was not clearly comfortable with his own decision. He went back and forth, according to our reporting, several times, even through the, the holiday weekend, and now is even suggesting that he may revisit this. I think you look at the response that's been out there from not just Democrats, but many Republicans who are saying, wow, look at look at this. This is a bad situation. We have to take care of this. The Chamber of Commerce is pointing out these are 700,000 plus people that now 
hold down jobs in the American economy? Do you want to just rip that away from them? This is a this has severe consequences for policy as well as politics. And it, to me, it's telling that President Trump was not actively part of the the rollout of this policy. Uh, it certainly was. So uh, it, 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 certainly that. But you know, you, you got to wonder just as a matter of of policy. I mean, why can't Congress actually do this? I know yeah. it's been considered a dozen times at least by my count. If you go back and you look at the times, the bill has been introduced, considered in committee, voted on in, in, in various chambers. You know, why, if, if you have the Speaker of the House come out and, and, and say that uh, the Dreamer should be protected, if you have a, a number of prominent Republicans in the Senate say the same thing, if Democrats are united in saying it, why the heck can't they pass something that provides um, legal status for a group of people, that the, maybe not the Attorney General, but uh, the, the, what, what appears to be a clear majority in Congress and a clear majority, if you believe the polls, in the, in, in, in the, uh, among the American public, believes should be protected. Why, why can't Congress do that? They could do that today, not tomorrow, today. There are bills that have been filed that have bipartisan sponsors that are similar in the House and the Senate that would take care just of this narrow group. It's 800,000 people, not so narrow, but just this issue and say we're going to provide for these people to be protected in perpetuity. No more executive orders, no worries about that. They can get that done today. But what would that mean? That would mean that Democrats would have to work with Republicans. And it give would up mean an that, issue, by the way. What's give that? Up, give up a, a, an explosive yes. campaign issue. They would be giving up a very powerful political issue. It would mean conservatives allowing their leadership to go ahead with something that the attorney general and a lot of the hardliners on immigration, Steve King, would blow his top. It would mean it going— Amnesty, 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 right? It would mean blowing up Republican unity, and it would mean the president going back on uh, on, a, on a promise that many in his base hold dear. It would mean him giving up on maybe his best shot at border wall funding. So a whole lot of people would have to give to allow this to happen. And you're seeing in real time why Washington politics is as broken and, uh, and, and, as, and as calcified as it is, because this makes sense to people. This is, the, this is actually the easy stuff to deal with. But it, you can't do that because everyone, now that the power centers in Washington have blown away, no one else feels like there's another opportunity. It changes all of the, all of the risk-reward structures, and it means that, that, that actual people, again, 800,000 people, have to worry about this status over the next six months. You know they're going to go up to the deadline, even though you could have broad bipartisan support for this right now in Congress. By the way, the first DREAM Act, the first effort by Congress to deal with this issue was when? You know the answer to this. I'm going to say 1985. The first one that I know of. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) It's 2001, not quite that far Oh, okay, okay. 2001. I mean, 85. You had the, you had the, you had well, you the, had the uh, amnesty talk yeah, in 86. Yeah. So, so, but, 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 look. I want to hit on a couple of other uh, quick things to to look at. First of all, it's interesting to see the um, the back and forth over the debt ceiling. Yeah. Um, the White House has expressed a preference for extending the debt ceiling through the midterm elections. So, you know, basically a, a nearly two year uh, extension of the debt ceiling. Um, attached to the emergency funding for Harvey. Of course, a lot of you know conservatives, Freedom Caucus, are adamantly opposed uh, uh, to doing something like that. Um, the Democrats have just come up with an interesting gambit and said, we'll go along with that, but we want a temporary increase in the debt ceiling of three months. 
Yeah, yeah, and they they know that they have some leverage right now. And and this is actually you mentioned this very consequential month. Um, th- this is maybe the most important that Democrats will be in the Trump era for a really long time because their votes are so critical on these big issues around spending. And they're going to try to maximize their leverage and bring things like DACA in. Speaker Ryan seemed horrified that politics would possibly be played around the debt limit, which is maybe a convenient way of forgetting how Speaker Ryan, among others, have played politics around the debt limit. That's what happens in Washington. And I do think the Democrats have to be careful not to overplay their hands. They have an opportunity to actually deliver on some big priorities, but they're going to come under a lot of pressure from their base to make these into campaign issues instead. And be careful about how much they're actually helping out Republicans, because that will be seen as helping out President Trump. But they're going to be critical. And I think there's an opening gambit. This was a savvy one. It looks on the face like they're being uh, cooperative and bipartisan. But they know that the last thing that that the Republicans want to do is deal with debt ceiling again before the midterms, because the issue uh, cleaves them apart. And it reminds you again, John, that, that President Trump has remade the Republican Party so dramatically that there, there isn't a capacity for real leadership from congressional leaders. They, they don't control their own conferences. There's little that they can do, and they can't even predict how the president would come down on these things. But you can predict how things are going to yes, come I down, know. Rick. So I know. I, I, you know I, that. I, I do appreciate that. One that other thing is, of course, they've got a, you know government funding ends at the end, uh, runs out at the end of the month. Um, it looks like the White House is going to be uh, not insisting this time around on wall funding, despite what the president said uh, in that speech out in Arizona. Uh, so we'll have a, uh, in a, you know, some kind of theoretically some kind of an extension, a temporary spending bill that will bring us to the, you know, sometime in December. Uh, it does not have wall funding, and that gives us a huge battle over wall funding coming yeah. at the end of the year. And then I got the sleeper issue for you. You know what it is, Rick? Go for it. What's going on in New Jersey? Ooh, ooh, is there a trial? Is there a trial going on? This is now this is getting good. Now this is this is some juicy politics right here, John. As you know, Senator Bob Menendez from New Jersey uh, is is on trial for a pretty juicy corruption t- trial. Uh, just to be interesting by itself. But you start to get into the national implications of this, and you start to think, I mean, what would happen if he is convicted and forced to resign? Things could get really dicey uh, up in New Jersey really quickly. So I, I, I did a quick look through the New Jersey Constitution, which I tend to read you know, yeah, you got from that. time yeah, to time. Yeah. And uh, it tells me that if Menendez is forced to resign, if he's convicted and forced to resign, that the governor of the state would appoint uh, his replacement. But I, 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 it's been a busy morning. Remind me, who's the governor yeah, of New I, Jersey? I, I, I'm pretty sure that uh, there's a guy named Chris Christie who's got that uh, governor's mansion for, for a couple more months. But I'm also pretty sure that uh, the Democrat uh, is going to win that race. Uh, the, Christie is one of the least popular people in the country. His lieutenant governor is running to, to try to keep his seat. The Democrats are almost assured of a pickup there. So something happens in January that changes party control. And, uh, you know, obviously there's not a huge difference for Republicans. They're 52-48 right now. They'd be 53-47 if Christie names a replacement. But has anything happened, John, where there's like one vote maybe that's important? <laughs> Have you seen that happen? I, I, I seem to remember something involving a Senator McCain, who, by the way, is back yeah. in Washington. And great, That's right. Great Thankfully. Him. Um, but th- this is fascinating, trying to game out this trial in New Jersey. You could see a conviction coming down towards, you know, December. Yeah. So the question is, would the Democrats keep a convicted, if, if, if Menendez and, you know, innocent until proven guilty, if he's convicted, 
And let's right. face it, he faces there's, this is a grave threat. This is this is that trial. Yeah, sure. If he is convicted, do the Democrats keep a convicted uh, senator felon. in yeah. felon in the United States Senate? Well, we're going to learn... and, and, and allow him to stay. You know, game this out, prepare for appeal, and then resign the day after the new governor is sworn. Well, expelling a senator takes a two thirds vote. It hasn't happened since uh, since the Civil War era. Since since some Confederate senators were were, were let out of town, uh, so that doesn't seem like a, a viable option. What is is the pressure to resign, and you're going to hear a lot, John, about Senator Ted Stevens, because as you remember well, Ted Stevens was convicted of uh, of a felony charge, um, it, only eight days before an election, and there was pressure uh, back during that election back in 2008 for him to resign, and those who called on him to resign included Senator John McCain. Governor Sarah Palin. Also, people like Senator Harry Reid and Senator Chuck Schumer, they said that a convicted felon couldn't serve in the Senate. Now, the reason that this example is fascinating is that uh, Ted Stevens lost his reelection bid only eight days later. And then his conviction was tossed out amid uh, accusations of prosecutorial misconduct, some really bad stuff. So there's a precedent for Menendez to to stay on at least pending appeal there's also lots of precedent for his democratic co- colleagues to say he has to go so this this is going to get really interesting really fast if in fact a conviction happens and this question of timing and when that additional republican could be seated in the senate uh, would be really really interesting and of course just to add to the intrigue this is being prosecuted by the trump justice department so guess who gets to make these decisions? Potentially, let's say there's talk of a plea bargain as the trial begins, which often happens. We're talking about Jeff Sessions again, aren't we? All right, that'll do it for today's edition of Powerhouse Politics. Please take a moment to rate the show and write us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Those reviews help other people discover the show. You can find us on Twitter. I am at Rick Klein and John is at John Carl. Don't forget, you can find all of the ABC News podcasts by going to abcnewspodcast.com. Today's show produced by David Rind, Avery Miller, and Megan Hughes. Thank you for listening and we'll talk to you next time.